Thank you for choosing to listen to today's message by Reverend Dr. David Entry. We know you will be blessed as you seek and serve God. We believe that this message will stir up a desire for more of God, even as you listen. Be blessed. Oh Lord, our help in ages past. We pray that reveal Jesus through the pages of scriptures to us. Let our hearts warm up towards you, towards your purpose, towards your agenda. In this end time and in our generation, speak to every one of us here, for we are ready for a word. As your word is taught, heal the sick, deliver the captives, save the lost. Lord, let relief come to the afflicted. Let the prisoners be set free. Let the confused receive direction. Let anyone who has been caught in the web of sin be set loose. Glorify your name. Put your word in my mouth, Lord. Holy Spirit, I submit myself under your influence. Let me speak with audacity from above. Let me speak with clarity and boldness. Thank you that your word is pure. Thank you that your word is perfect. Thank you that your word saves. We give you praise in Jesus' name that Jesus will be revealed in our teaching. And all shall say, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to talk about what I possibly, I would want to call the gospel duty. The gospel duty. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all say the gospel duty. duty. All right. In Romans chapter 9, we'll be reading from, much much of our text will be from chapter 9. Last week, I taught a message that it's not very common to the ordinary Christian. Ordinary Christian, I mean people who go to church and come back home and just want a religious experience. But it is essential aspect of Christianity. And it's necessary for us to know. The scripture puts it this way. Thank you, Jesus. And I think in First Timothy, I think in First Timothy chapter four, verse one. I think First Timothy four, one. The Spirit, that's capital S. Okay, that's deity. The Spirit expressly says that in the latter time some will depart from the faith. All right, departing from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits. And what? Doctrines of demons. So we can't make church about, oh, how I feel, how, how I feel, how I feel. That's not just what church is essentially all about. Doctrines of de- We need to help people be able to spot demonic doctrine from afar. Yes. The, the, how, how, this is how they train the bankers to identify counterfeit. They train them with the original. When you become so familiar with the original, you can easily notice a counterfeit. We, you can't be going to church and know nothing. And if you are supposed to know something, you must know first and foremost what is essential and pertains to your spiritual work. You cannot afford... No, you cannot afford not to know. 
things that pertain to your salvation and things that pertain to spirituality and things that pertain to Christianity and godliness. Godliness, the knowledge that accords with godliness, that Bible talks about, the truth that accords with godliness. You got to know it. There are certain truths, certain teachings, certain, uh, 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 yes, that's it. Titus chapter 1 verse 1, he said, Paul, a bond bond servant of of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. So there are truths that accord with, there are other information that don't accord with godliness, but they look very religious. Or they sound very religious. They sound very rational. They sound very intelligent. They sound very intellectual. But it does not accord with godliness. So being an effective Christian, part of being an effective Christian means that you have to know the truths of God's word. Most of what Jesus did with his disciples is he kept teaching them. He kept... Christianity is about knowing, is first of all, knowing Christ and growing in Christ. You don't grow in Christ outside of being taught or being fed. We find out that the teaching of God's word is actually meant to be feeding of God's people with God's word. And so you can afford not to know some things. You can afford not to know um, much about the stock market. You can afford it. You can afford not to know the Brexit deals. The new, you can afford not to know the World Cup scores. You can afford not to know it. You can afford not to know the latest movie in town. You can afford not to know some stuff, man. But as a Christian, you can't afford not to know God's word. Satan will have an upper hand over you. In 2 Corinthians, I think chapter 11, um, or no, chapter 2, I think chapter 2 rather, or no, chapter 11 verse, chapter 2 verse 11, somewhere there, it talks about, for we are not ignorant of the devices of the enemy, lest Satan has an upper, chapter 2 verse 11, he said that, lest Satan should take advantage over us. Satan! Satan should take advantage over us. Why? Because of ignorance. If you are ignorant of the devices, Satan will take advantage over you. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. It, verse 2, it says that I'm very concerned, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that is to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Look at the next verse, verse 3. For I am, for I fear, say I fear. I fear. Say I fear. I fear. I fear. Lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve. Now, it's very interesting. Watch this. Uh, this is not my message, but he's talking to a church. He's talking to the church, and he said, Paul, the apostle, he, God used him to give birth to this church, and he was pastoring the church. In his absence, he wrote to them. He said, I fear, lest somehow, as Satan, the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. So, your minds be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. He said, I fear. Who, 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 who is the your referring to? Your mind. Your. The church. Can you imagine? 
he, he just, let me use this word, he just opposes Eve to the church. So he puts Eve on one side and he puts the church on the other side of the scale. So Eve, what he's trying to say is Eve is the type of the church. Eve is the type of the church. Why are you saying that? Because he was, she was the bride of the first Adam. And the church is the bride of the second Adam, the last Adam. The second man. So the first man had to be put to bed, put to sleep, and God took his wife out of him. Christ had to be put to sleep on the cross, and the Bible said they pierced his side, and water, sorry, blood and water came out. The church was born at that time. The church came out of Christ. That's why the church is the bride of Christ. And as Eve was the bride of Adam. So the first Adam's wife or bride was deceived by the devil. And Paul said, I fear lest the, what, did, what happened to the first Adam's bride, you being the bride of the last Adam, Satan will do it again. I fear. And how did he deceive? He didn't distort the, the word significantly, slightly. Satan said, has God, Genesis chapter 3, he came to Adam and he says, he said, has God really said you should not eat from any, Genesis chapter 3. He said, no, the seven was, and he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you should not eat of every tree of the garden? But in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, let's see what God said. And the Lord commanded man that of every tree of the garden, what should they do? Oh, come on, wait. How many trees did he say? Every. How many trees? Every. Instead of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. But let's see what the devil said. Three, chapter 3, verse 1. He said, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree? God never said, don't eat of every tree. Actually, that's the exact opposite of what God said. But it was a slight distortion. If you are not well trained, your minds will be corrupted from the simplicity of Christ. Has God really said it? God indeed say you should not eat of every tree. No, God didn't say that. Uh, what, put it back on the screen. Let me show you something. Has God did God indeed say should he eat, you should not eat of every tree? God didn't say. Look at the next verse. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree. Uh, uh, we, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. What's the meaning of that? <laughs> What's the meaning of that? We may eat. She was a bit confused. We may eat. He said, he should have, she should have said, no. No, we are supposed to eat of every tree, except one. Except one, which is not just a tree, because it was a personality. Except one. Because when you read the Bible very carefully, the Bible says that, for, and God made every tree. Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. God made every tree. And, and out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight, good for food. And the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden. And so these other two trees didn't grow from the ground. They were there in the midst. So God, Bible says that God made all trees, every tree to grow 
from the ground. Mm. They drew. But then as they said, and there are these two trees, the tree of life was there, and unfortunately, the tree of the knowledge of evil, good and evil, was there. It's not a bad tree. It's just a knowledge. It's a tree of knowledge. It's not a tree of evil. It's a tree of knowledge. But if you eat that thing, something will enter you. And the, those two trees were personalities. Wow. One was the personality of the devil himself, the nature of the devil, and the other one was the, the, life, the tree of life. Tells you what the tree the tree of life. And God wanted them to eat the tree of life. So he said, you may freely eat of every tree, and he said, except this one. And which was the one? Not a tree of life. Oh. Except, except uh, uh, but the tree of the knowledge of good on uh, you shall not. No, you may not. You shall not. For the very day you eat, because it's a tree of death. Once you eat it, death has been introduced into your life. But see, watch this. He said, the day you eat it, he said, he said that, uh, 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 for in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. It's not, you may die. It's a certainty. Why? Because you have eaten death. Man is not meant to eat death. But he says that there were two other trees apart from all the natural trees. So the, all the natural trees grew from the ground, but there are two other trees which are not natural, natural trees, but they were personalities. One of them was called the tree of life. If you eat the tree of life, what happens to you? Life! But if you eat the other tree, even though it wasn't called the tree of death, God said it brings death. It looks like it's good information. Uh, it looks like good education it looks like being enlightened it looks like being very smart it looks like being very intelligent but I'm telling you, you are dying you are dying I don't care how educated you are you are dying without Christ the tree of the knowledge of good, of, uh, and, uh, good and evil has already taken residence in man. And so as soon as you are born, you started dying. How can a child be born with a condition in the heart? How can a child be born and uh, the brain, there's a problem in the brain? How can a child be born and something, a major organ failure? How? A child just arrived. Where is it coming from? Where is this coming from? You can train yourself to explain it. But you can't train yourself to avoid it. <laughs> if I were you, I would shout, life! life! So Jesus said, I am the bread of life. <laughs> My message is going somewhere else now. He said, I am the bread of life. John chapter 6. He said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never test. He said, I am the bread of life. Eat me. Because we, oh, my God, we were supposed to have eaten something that should have brought us life, but we ate something that brought us death. Since that time, sickness came in. Since that time, your marriage is struggling. Since that time, your relationship are not working. Look at the number of boyfriends you have been with. One should have been enough. Because you are very smart, aren't you? You are very intelligent, aren't you? You've been, you, you had esters in all your exams, weren't you? Didn't you? And how come that your relationship are comatose? How come? With this level
level of education, your family shouldn't have had problem. You should have known how to handle family life. But what's wrong? What went wrong? There's something fundamentally wrong with human nature. Something fundamentally wrong. So we shouldn't allow ourselves to be deceived or fooled to think that reading a lot of books and getting more knowledge will make you safe in life. Mm. Not at all. Most, some things that happen on university campuses, you won't believe that people who are being trained to think behave like that. Most of you, the vilest things you learned was on campus. Yes. Wow. On campus. campus life, yes. You were sleeping a, a week with about four different men. Oh. Are you out of your mind? And yet you were an A-class student. Think about it. Think about it. Young man. You went to pick sickness. From campus. Because... You could not keep your zip up. The powers below are too strong for you. (laughs) You couldn't control. You were introduced to drugs in university. Now it's messing up your life. You were introduced to alcohol in university. I thought your mother thought you were going to study. Yeah, you went to study. But education doesn't make you wise. It makes you clever. You are like a clever devil. I don't need God. I don't need. But look look at you. You actually need life because things are dying in your life. Things are dying physically. It doesn't. You are. You are. What you are going through is the uh, uh, incipient death. Different forms of death. But the main one, the ultimate one, is when we close your casket, casket, and put you seven feet or six feet. That's the last one. That seals everything. But you can tell life is not the way it should be. How come? Because death, Bible says that, man, Romans chapter 5 verse 12. (laughs) Somebody say, Lord have mercy. (laughs) Romans chapter 5 verse 12. He said, for by one man, therefore just as through one man's sin, one man, uh, through one man's sin, uh, one man's sin entered the world. And what? Death through sin. So sin was the channel for death to come in. Sin is the invitation card for death. I don't want you to be telling me about sins. You are dying. (laughs) Sorry, mate. You are dying. I'm not afraid of your fears. I know your condition. You need, you need urgent help. Urgent spiritual care. Urgent help. You call it enjoyment, but it's like drinking poison. I don't need God. You certainly do. Oh, no, yeah, I, I'm telling you do. Oh, why, what makes you say that? Because your condition makes me say that. You know you are not okay. You are not okay. You have money, but you are not okay. You have a good job, but your life ain't good. <laughs> Wake up to call a spade a spade. Call a spade a spade. Romans chapter 9, 
Uh, Romans chapter 9. <laughs> Romans chapter 9 from verse 1. This is an interesting one. You got to hear this. From verse 1. I tell you the truth in Christ. I, this, this is what preachers should do. Speak the truth in Christ and don't lie. He said we are not like those who peddle the word of God for profit. Second Corinthians chapter, I think, 3 verse 17, something like that. We peddle the word of God for profit. He said we don't have to temper with God's word. Amen. Yeah, 17. Now, the Lord, no, no, that's not the one. Um, chapter 2 verse 17, yeah. For we are not, we are not as so many peddling the word of God. You know, so when you peddle, it's like you are selling something. You know, hello, who can buy it? We don't peddle the word of God. We are not looking for fame or support. We just have to take, uh, speak the word as it is. But as of sincerity, but um, peddling the word of God. But as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. I think chapter 4, verse 2, Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, says something in that effect. Renounce hidden things of shame, not, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. We can't handle God's word deceitfully. Anyone who does that, anathema. He said, if we preach, anyone who preach a different gospel than one that has been presented to you, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 and 9, said, let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. I don't want to put myself in that category. <laughs> you have to be truthful to God's word. Because in the latter times, people will depart from the truth following deceiving spirits. And doctrines taught by demons, by devils. And that's why I started. The devils will teach. So the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they continued in the apostles' doctrines. We have to continue in the doctrine that has been handed down to us. Continue in the apostles' doctrines. Acts chapter 2, verse 40. 42. They continued in the apostles' doctrine. In Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about verse, verse 13. So we all come to the unity of faith. So we all come to the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now watch the next one. That's even interesting. Verse 14. That you, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with what? Every wind of doctrine. Every wind of teaching carries you. Today you believe in that. Tomorrow is tomorrow. No, it's, it's infantileness, signs of infantileness. So the more you grow in Christ, the steady, more steady you become, more stable you become. Are you getting what I'm saying? It's, it's very, very important. Very important. So we cannot toy with the truth. Praise God. Hallelujah. Um, I tell you the truth in Christ. Romans chapter 9, verse 1. I'm not lying. My conscience also bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. This is serious. I realize that in my pastoral work, I've dealt with quite a few people. Yeah, I've dealt with quite a few people. And I realize that in our civilized, in this, this our civilized part of the world, one of the signs of our civilitude or civilization is ability to lie. People, people can lie. Because you have to learn how to pre present your message 
to make, give you an advantage or present your case. The people lie in court always. They have to present things in such a way. When you ask people questions as a pastor, people come to you. I don't know if they do that to GPs. I'll have to make some, I'll check some GPs. But they come to you as a pastor for you to help them. And what they ask you to help them about, you just want to know so you know how to channel your prayer. And they shroud it in a complete lie. And they lie with smile. Yes, pastor. Yes, pastor. And when you make a mistake and ask a question, a, maybe a kind of a probing question, they bully you, make you feel guilty. Oh, God, how? Oh, pastor. You know, people, people know how to lie nicely. I'm telling you. It's nice. Sometimes I look at people and I start clapping. I feel like, wow. Wow. It's like a football match. But this is nice. <laughs> so we come to church and we continue. Because our culture, our mindset, our domestic logic, national philosophy is built around the ability to lie your way out. And don't face the reality. Find a nice way of putting things. Euphemism. But it says, I lie not. My conscience bears me witness. One thing about conscience is when you are lying, many people will not know you are lying, but you know. Your conscience will bear you witness. And one of the things the word of God does is it awakens our conscience. It sanctifies our conscience. Because previously, some things that you wouldn't have had squirms about or you wouldn't have had issue about, once you become a Christian and receive God's word, it begins to, to awaken your conscience. Bring, your, your, bring life, the, inject the divine life into your conscience. So it says that if Christ, uh, the blood of Christ is... Hebrews 9.14, the blood of Christ, who, how much more won't his blood cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The blood is powerful enough to purge or cleanse our conscience to serve the living God. So you can't ignore your conscience. You will never be free. There's a way you can do it so much that your conscience becomes now damaged and seared. So now, it's so warped. You have, that's, that's what happens to a lot of people. Sometimes they pound, 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 pound you. So suddenly, you begin, you begin to believe that cheating on your wife, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong. Because, oh, it's normal. Men do it. And, so, and your wife catches you and asks you, what's, what's, wrong, what's wrong with that? Your conscience is gone. You are sick now. You are sick now. <laughs> you are sick now. You are abusing a child and you don't see anything wrong with it. You are actually critically unwell. You understand? But the conscience can be seared in a certain direction so much that it, starts func it stops functioning normally and appropriately. But he said, my conscience bears me witness. My conscience. Sometimes when you make an altar call, people, their conscience is telling them, you have to. You have to say yes to Jesus, but they say, no, 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 no I, don't, I don't want to. But your conscience, deep in your heart, you know God has been talking to you. Some of you have to break some relationships. Amen. Your conscience tells you that you are not supposed to be in this relationship. Your mother said and said and said, you didn't listen. Your father continued to say, you didn't listen. Now God has added his voice. <laughs> because he, God knows you will come back later for prayer. 
he won't answer that prayer. So he wants to do something about it now. <laughs> Hallelujah. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. This is Apostle Paul talking about how he has great sorrow in his heart. But is he not the one who says that rejoice again, rejoice always? He said, I rejoice. But in this particular instance, he said, I have sorrow. We thought Paul is always joyful. What makes him sorrowful then? He said, in this particular instance, I have sorrow. What was the cause for his sorrow? Very important. He says that, for, for, I, um, for I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law and the service and the, uh, the giving of the service to God and the promises. So he said, these people, I wish, my heart is so burdened that I, 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 if me going to hell will mean they being saved, me, me going to hell, I don't mind taking hell for them to be saved. I don't mind being cursed, damned, if it means they will be saved and blessed. There are some essential attitudes, necessary attitudes that must, uh, must be part of an evangelistic life. It's a range of necessary attitudes for effective evangelism. Number one, sorry, or you have to be sorry for the condition of the lost. If you are envying and desire what unbelievers are enjoying, you can't help them. You have a friend who is going out with somebody's husband and the wife is bitter and their marriage, the man's marriage is almost on the rock, and you're, he's giving so much money to your friend. He's recently bought her a new car. He planned to buy a house for her. And you, you actually, your car has failed MOT, and you are struggling. And sometimes you look at her and you wish you had the opportunity. You know, even though you are in Christ and she is not in Christ, I don't think you'll be able to help her. You can't evangelize her because you actually you are actually like what she's, she has. You are desiring what she has in her sin. So we first of all have to feel sorry for the condition of the, those who are lost. Feel so, when I look, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter your level of education. It doesn't matter your social status. When I look at you and you don't have Christ, I feel, really feel sorry for you. I really feel sorry for you. I feel sorry for you because one, you go to hell. Two, you are missing out on the good things of life. The true joy of life you are missing out. And three, Satan will discipline you later. <laughs> unless you get saved somewhere along the line. But there's no guarantee unless you act today when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. So when I see people, it doesn't matter, you may own seven private jets and every time you just change them. I don't envy you if you don't have Christ. I don't envy you if you don't have Christ. Because your life is really under the influence and under the authority of the devil. So, first of all, you have to feel sorry for the condition of the lost. Number two, you have to desire their salvation. Desire that they'll be saved. Some of you, the way you fight your family members, you're not desiring their salvation. 
Yeah, I know your father hurt you. Your father was not there for your mother. Your mother struggled to, uh, to raise you. But you know what? You have to desire his salvation. Desire his salvation. But you are so embittered, venge, vengeful. You carry such vendetta against your father, you want him to burn in hell. Actually, <laughs> if he will be saved, you don't mind going to hell with him. So that is... <laughs> Some of you, you're, you're very soon, that guy, that guy who broke your heart, that boyfriend who was so wicked to you, is going to walk to church. And one day, you see him coming saying that, I, sur- I surrender to Jesus, and you'll be upset. How can this one come to Jesus? How can, I'm sorry, mate, sorry, mate, sorry, mate. Sorry, mate. Everybody deserves the love of God. All right, so. It's very important. And so desire their salvation and number three. These are, these are full range of necessary attitude for effective evangelism. You have to hear this. So first of all, you have to feel sorry for their sin, for the condition of the loss. You have to desire their salvation and believe God that he, God, has salvation in mind for them. You have to believe. That's what you're saying here. That's what you're saying here. For I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, verse 3, for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the, uh, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is overall the eternally blessed God. Christ is the eternally blessed God. All right, amen. So he said, I I desire for them to be saved. I really want them to be saved. But remember last week I was talking about how God, Jesus Christ did not die to save everybody, everybody in the world. He didn't die because then if he died, his death was to pay for everybody's sin. Why must someone go to hell? Sins have been paid. So the fact that people will be in hell means they still owe. So how about the payment that was made? No, it didn't cover them. Oh, how? Are you trying to say Jesus didn't die for some people? He only dies for those who believe in him. So for God so loved the world that he gave his only word, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. If you don't believe in perishing, it's your portion already. So for you not to perish, how about your sins? He has to pay for the sins. So he paid for the sins of those who are not to perish. And then when you study the scriptures very carefully, he says that you can't come to me unless God draws you. So now you you begin to realize that there is, watch this, there is a sovereign aspect of salvation, divine sovereignty. God's prerogative. Sovereign, like God decides. So some of you are saved today and you are in church, but just a year ago or two years ago, are you here with me? Just a year ago, two years ago, you didn't think. You, you always thought, ask for me, this church thing. <laughs> no, 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 no church. Some of you are now speaking in tongues. And you can't stop. And you are shaking. You are gyrating and speaking in tongues. You? Oh, come on. You? How come? And you vowed that I will never be like that. What has happened? Let me jump out of this text. I think I can't finish it, so I'll just jump out of it and show you something. Romans chapter, uh, so Acts chapter 2. You need to see this one. I'm talking about sovereignty. 
Acts chapter 2. Somebody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 2. This is when the day of Pentecost, Peter was preaching. And Peter said a lot of things. And he said... um, This is serious. Verse 22. Acts 2.2.2. Men of Israel. I like this. This is amazing. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves also know him. Let's all read that bit together. Let's go. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of Shh. Let's read it again. You have by the by lawless hands, you, you, you have taken him by lawless hands and crucified and put him to death. Who killed him? From the test, who killed him? The you. The, talking to the Jews. He said, you, by the you, you, you Jews. He said, you have taken by lawless hands, because you killed him, he was innocent. By lawless hands, and have crucified him and put him to death. But what you easily miss is the, the preceding statement. Who was the mastermind behind it? God. Being delivered, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. That's sovereignty. Divine sovereignty was at work. But who, who, was, who was culpable? The killers. So, the killers, the, the killers were held accountable, even though God was behind it. Not, God didn't tell them to do it. They did it by their own volition. volition. But God's sovereignty was at play. Don't underestimate the sovereignty of God. Mm. Yesterday I was teaching how miracles are good, but providence is stronger than yes. miracle. Mm. I will explain it one day because I don't have time for that. So, by the, look at chapter 4. Look at chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 27. Thank you, Jesus. For truly... For truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together, verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Pontius Pilate, the Jews, Herod, they teamed up to kill him. They team up to well, you read the text. They said, let's get rid of him. Let's kill him. Jesus didn't say, kill me. They said, let's get rid of him. But whilst they were doing that, they didn't know they were fulfilling God's predetermined purpose. It was the sovereignty of God. How about your salvation? You chose that I'll receive Jesus. But you didn't know it was the sovereignty of God at play. May I tell you? May I submit to you? May I submit to you? And permit me to politely add this. 
I don't care whether you agree or not. Yeah, that's why I say politely, I'm adding it. Okay, you, yeah. I don't care whether you agree. You did not come here because you just wanted to come. God drew, drew you. Anybody seated in this building, you are seated here because God orchestrated it. Without violating your will. <laughs> without imposing anything on you. Without showing you any dream. Without doing anything. You just got to wake up. You could have come some time ago. What, what happened? You almost didn't come. You almost didn't come. But I'm not talking about the almost. I'm talking about how come, even though you almost didn't come? Girl, you're here. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to tell you. Is there? Is the sovereignty of God at play? Because he wants to help you. Looking at the way things are going in your life, he wants to help you. And he knows that if you one day you say, if God is good, why didn't you do anything about that? That's why he had to draw you, even though you didn't plan. He had to find a way of drawing you. Someone said, okay, if you don't come there after church, I will not have lunch. So, okay, you let's go and after. See, several factors worked, mitigated, worked for your coming here. Why? So God will do you good. Amen. Well, I think we have next week to continue. I, I, I just have to stop. I just, so I want to, let me end on the fact that divine providence, even though we chose, it was his master plan, which we fitted into his master plan. You can't do anything for God except he gives it to you to do it. You can't preach, you can't teach, you can't do anything to please God without his own uh, inspiration, without him by being behind it. You cannot be saved without God. That's why I wanted to show you that. He says, Romans chapter 9, when you go and read it, it's a very interesting text. It tells you about how God said, I chose this one to be saved. I chose this one. Not everyone who is Israel is Israel. So not all Israel will be saved in that sense. But later you understand. It's a very, very... Very interesting thing. He said, so their salvation, the, the Gentiles being saved, is based on God's providence. Because he said, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have, uh, God's suffering. I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. So then it's not of him that wills. Neither is it of him who runs, but it's of God who shows mercy. For therefore he told Moses that I'll harden the, I, he hardened the Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's heart for his own glory. Okay, so Pharaoh was stubborn, even though he was held accountable, he was culpable, God was behind it. He said, for the scripture said, for this purpose, I have raised you up. T talking about Pharaoh, I've raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name be, be declared in all the earth. That's why he actually, so Bible said, who he, what's the next verse? He who he wills, watch this. Therefore, God have mercy on whom you have mercy and whom he wills, he hardens. So I know your question. So what then, the question, look at the next verse. Can, can I go in and close? Uh, this is in, look, look at the next verse. He said, you would then say, why does God still find fault then? For who has resisted his will? Because he, whom he will, he will harden. And him, whom he will, he will have mercy on. So all, let's say, all of these guys are, are guilty and supposed to be punished. And God said, um, okay, I have mercy on you. So he have mercy on you and pays for your sins. And then the rest who are already guilty and deserve punishment, he leaves them. And he, when he leaves them, do you know how he leaves them? He leaves them and their hearts are hard. No, I don't want anybody to help me. I don't want anybody. Like the one trying to preach people. No, no, I'm not interested in this. I'm not. <laughs> but someone wants to say, oh, tell me about it. Yeah, tell me. So how, what should I do? 
Two friends. And you usually always see it when you go out. Two friends. One will be hardened. And it's very interesting. Whom he wills, he hardens. God is not hardening their hearts by allowing their hearts to be hardened. That's called sovereignty. But then he said, so why would God hold anybody accountable then? Do you know the answer? He said, shut your mouth up. Watch this. But indeed, oh man, who are you to resist, uh, reply against God? Who are you to question God? He said, could you shut your mouth up? I choose what I want to do. Absolutely. <laughs> he said, I have a privilege to do what I want to do. Ah, oh, no, but it's against human, human, human rights. Wait, a get to hell and talk about human rights. <laughs> he said, shut up. Shut up. Will the thing form say to him who form it, why have you made me like this? Will your, you bought your own wig and you have chosen to use the wig, uh, like, no, extension. You have chosen to use it for twists. And suddenly the wig is upset. The extension is upset. Why didn't you use it for Ken Row? Hey, excuse me, wig. Hey. Shut up. Why are you to ask me this? Can you imagine? I bought my own, uh, it was a gift, but let's say I bought it. Yeah. My own tie and my own pocket square. That's right. And I have other pockets. And I've chosen to use this pocket square. Yeah. And you, or the pocket square has got some green edges. So yeah. I chose not to use the green edges. Suddenly the pocket square is upset. Why are you not using the green edges? Yeah. Hey, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, what's happening? <laughs> That's exactly what God is saying. Uh, who are you? Uh, ask me questions. The porter, how can a clay ask the porter, why are you making part of the lamb to this and part of it? How can a clay be questioning a porter? Then look at verse 22. He said, what if? Verse 22. What if God wanting to show? Wanting to show God is wanting to do. I want, what if I just want to show the green bits? And use the, cover the red one. Green and red, you think it doesn't match. But I want to show. What, what, what has that got to do with you, Agatha? What if God, wanting to show his wrath, he has got wrath. Now I want to let people know that I don't like sin. Wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endures with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared. Some vessels are wrath prepared. The word prepared is different from the next prepared. Prepared, the Greek word transferred, translated prepared there is katatizo. So prepared for for distraction, it's not God who prepares you. It's self-preparation. Your heart has been conditioned that the way you are behaving, I know you are going to have STD. Mm. I didn't give it to you, but I'm telling you, the way you are behaving, you, you are going to have it. Mm. So it's like that God has, these are prepared for wrath. Yes. And then look at the next one. And he said, and verse 23, and if, and, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he has prepared. The second prepare is a different prepared. That one he has actually programmed so that they can contain his mercy. You, can, you, you didn't have an involvement in your conception, did you? When, when Nicodemus asked Jesus, <laughs> when Nicodemus, I have to finish this thing, sir. When Nicodemus asked Jesus, what must I do? Jesus said, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus said, but how can an old man like me go to a mother's womb? He knew that that's not what Jesus meant because he was an intellectual. How can this happen? He said, and Jesus said, whatever is born of water is born, John chapter 3, verse 6, whatever is born of water is, of, is water. 
And whatever is born, sorry, whatever is born of the flesh, flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit, spirit. So he's saying the flesh beats and the spirit is, how do you get involved in your being born in the flesh? How do you get involved? You don't get involved in your natural conception. What makes you think the spiritual conception, it, it's, it boils down to you? at the next verse. It will tell you a bit more. Look at the next verse. Do not marvel I said that you must be born again. Watch this. Go to the next verse. Look at this. The wind blows where it likes. And you hear the sound of it but cannot tell where it's coming from, where it's going. So is everyone born of the spirit. It's a, the, the, the spirit has the prerogative. He chooses who to save. Amen. Amen. I'm telling you that's why you are here today. Because the spirit is blowing on you. Can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? There's no escape. If you escape, you are, you are in trouble. God wants to get in quicker before things get out of hands. So I want to show you the, the sovereignty and the prerogative of God in salvation. And then in chapter 10, you begin to see that even though it's prerogative, there is a human responsibility. He said, for the word, what does it say? If you shall confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. So it's left it to you to make a decision. So you also have to make a decision. It's his prerogative, but your decision is important. So it's, it, now in chapter 10, he's talking as though it depends entirely on man. And it's interesting, he, he puts those scriptures, just, just, just opposes those scriptures side by side. It should have put somewhere, but he knew exactly what he's saying. Look at what I've said in chapter 9. Look at what I'm saying in chapter 10. In chapter 10, he says that there is a human responsibility. So first, divine providence, human responsibility. And then when you read down from verse, 13, verse 14 of chapter 10, he said, oh my God, this is, this is important. Look at verse 14 of chapter 10. Romans 10, 14. I've got to finish this. My time is up. Are you interested in this? He said, he said how, how then shall they call on him on whom they have not believed? So there must be a third party. Uh, there must be a third party in your salvation. Yes. God determines to save you. You have a responsibility, but there must be a third party. It's called the gospel duty. The third party. And how shall they believe on him on whom they have not heard? It, when you say hearing, that means that it's external. It's not from you. You know, the hearing. Now, that hearing, actually, I'll explain later on when I, next week. But hearing. Now, I said, and how shall they hear without a preacher? So there must be a preacher. The responsibility, the gospel responsibility. The gospel duty. So there must be divine providence. There must be human responsibility. And there must be gospel duty. Somebody needs to preach for somebody who God intends to save, to be saved, to hear, to be saved. And your salvation is predicated on your decision. You have to decide. You have to decide, goodbye world, I'll stay no longer with you. I've made up my mind to go God's way the rest of my life. You have to decide. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. It's your decision. Amen. God can make that decision for you. Amen. But he stirs the desire in your heart. But unfortunately, some people, they stares it and they shut it down. Oh. Stares it and how long would you keep? It's not when you are with your husband. <laughs> and you are not particularly happy with him. And you are at the dining table eating with others or maybe. And then he's stretching his hand to touch your thighs. And then what do you do? <laughs> no, touch my thigh. 
And I keep coming. Some of you, that's what you are doing to God. God is trying to make advances to you. Come, come. And I keep hitting the hand of God. Oh, stop it, God. Oh, stop it, God. I'm not ready for this born again thing. Oh, stop it, God. I'm not ready for church life. Oh, stop it, God. <laughs> wow. God is trying to make an advancement towards you. Wow. He's trying to make advancement in your interest. He wants a relationship and you keep hitting his hand. Oh, stop it. I'm talking to some, some of you women, wives. You, you gave your husband a bad slap last night. He hasn't forgotten. <laughs> because when you were tired, he said, hey, hey. <laughs> you are laughing, but that's exactly what some people are doing to God. Doing to God. God is trying to touch your heart. But you love your idols so much. You love your image so much. You love your, your worldliness, your pleasure so much. He said, God. I don't, don't dare. I don't do that. I mean, I don't do church. This guy has been preaching too long. I'm, I'm, I'm getting about. But if you knew the glories that God was preparing ahead of you, and you knew the commotion Satan has prepared awaiting you, you understand when we say God is love, why he keeps persisting to touch you. Well, I plan to speak about 15 minutes. I've done 30 and more. Please, this one to forgive me. But I want us to pray. Please bow your heads. Thank you, Jesus. I need you to just pray that, Lord, I open my heart to you. Everybody begin to pray right now. Pray a personal prayer that, Lord, I won't resist you anymore. I open my heart to you. I hope I open my heart to you. Wash me with your blood. Forgive me for my sins. Don't call it mistake, it's sins. Forgive me for my disobedience. Forgive me for going astray. Lord, forgive me. Begin to pray. Pray. Father, I surrender. Now I want to just pray for some a very as we all bow our head, I want to pray for a special group of people here particularly. You are here and you can feel, you know deep in your heart that God is trying to draw your attention and he wants you to become a true Christian. And you know that's what you're supposed to be doing, but for a long time, you have not responded. But for some reason, today you can tell God is really trying to get your attention. And you actually also want to say yes to Lord. You want to say, yes, Lord, I surrender. You want to say, Lord, I give you my life. You want to say, Jesus, come in. Let's start a new relationship. I want to surrender to you. I want to start a new life in Christ. It's genuine from your heart. You know it. You know you want to do that. If that is your genuine prayer and you want me to pray with you, please say this after me. Say, let's pray. Say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I've sinned against you. But I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and to save me. Today, I repent of all my sins and I ask you to forgive me and wash me with your blood. I make a commitment that I'll save you. I'll walk with you. I invite you to be in my life, to be my Lord and to be my savior. Direct my life, inspire my life, Show me what to do. 
show me what not to do. And I commit myself to obeying you for the rest of my life. Thank you for what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I thank you so much for my precious brothers and sisters. They are the winners of the day. They won greatest, the greatest victory in life, the victory of freedom in Christ. I pray for them that, Lord, they will grow in you. They will do well in you. They will become pillars in your house. Lord, you will use them to save others. And once, when you return, when we all meet you, we will hear you say concerning them as well, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I pray for you that God will help you to remain faithful, to remain committed to the things of God, to remain consistent. I, I curse every attack and every addiction and every sickness and every satanic implantation in your life. I curse it and I prophesy over your life, you are free to serve the Lord. I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. God bless you so much. Thank God for using this servant, Reverend Dr. David Entry, to share this awesome word. If this message has blessed you in any way, please spread the word by sharing it and send us an email to amen at charis.org. Remember to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and Twitter for regular updates on what God is doing here at Charis Ministries. Stay blessed.